Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to France Elects, a special World Review podcast series on the French election from the New Statesman. I'm Ido Vok, Europe correspondent at The New Statesman. Over this campaign, I've been joined by some of the sharpest observers of French politics, delving deep into the big issues shaping the race to lead the EU's biggest military power and its second largest economy. For our final episode before the first round of voting on the 10th of April, this week, we're discussing Marie Le Pen's surge in the polls. The big question remains, what would the Mélenchon voters do in the second round? Whether the far right really could win the presidency. I just have terrible flashbacks of Trump winning and the Brexit result. And people thought those were in the bag. It couldn't possibly happen. And it did. I don't want to evoke the second round of voting before the French people have voted, because after all, we don't know what the first round will bring. There are obviously elements which could lead one to believe that I will once again face Emmanuel Macron, which I'm pleased about, but I remain respectful. I am ready. Marine Le Pen has the wind in her sails after a week in which French politics has been dominated by one question. Could she really win? After a series of polls showing the far-right leader within just a few points of victory, in a hypothetical second-round matchup against incumbent Emmanuel Macron. A Le Pen victory appears distinctly possible, though still unlikely. The numbers are distinctly within Trump and Brexit upset territory, as one nervous political commentator put it. Le Pen has been buoyed by a brewing cost-of-living crisis driven by high inflation and rising energy prices. While Macron long benefited from being seen as an experienced statesman when the invasion of Ukraine was top of the agenda, he has proven more vulnerable as the debate has moved on to the cost of living. Lupin's long-standing strategy of pushing left on economic issues thus appears a wise choice. A debate focused on economic hardship also helps Lupin's attempt to detoxify herself by limiting time spent discussing issues such as immigration and Islam, which remind voters that the far right remains the far right. That has pushed Macron to stress to voters that he still believes that Lupin is fundamentally of the far right. Here he is campaigning, days away from the first round, in the wake of a shock poll which put Le Pen less than three points away from winning in a second round against him. I say simply that collectively I've been hearing less about how she is of the far right, and I repeat it once again. I think we must continue to tell the truth of different projects. 
I respect every French person regardless of what they believe, but there is a tandem which is making progress, which holds far-right ideas. We have known this for a long time. They are pushed by a clan and a newcomer. I forcefully fight them, but I do not trivialize them. Yet could mounting evidence of war crimes seemingly committed by the Russian army in Ukraine, as was uncovered in the town of Bucha recently, shift attention back to foreign policy, presumably benefiting Macron at Le Pen's expense? And with the behavior of voters for candidates who don't make the second round crucial to the final result, how might voters for Jean-Luc Mélenchon and others split in the runoff? With me to discuss this are Alex Kruger, international managing editor at The New Statesman, and Hugo Tronchon, a political theorist at the University of Nottingham. Thank you very much both for coming on for this final uh, pre-first round episode of Front Elect. I guess it probably makes sense to start with the awful news that we've seen uh, from Ukraine last weekend. We've, we've seen evidence of what appears to be atrocities by the Russian army in the town of Bucha and elsewhere. And I was just hoping to get both of your thoughts on this, and I guess to anchor it specifically to the French election. My kind of working hypothesis has been that the war, which is just over a month old, a month and a bit old, it had been fading from voters' minds, from the kind of immediate political agenda in it, and discussion had been shifting towards uh, a broader cost of living crisis, which has been exacerbated by the war in particular because of the war's effect on energy and food prices. And and I think that was benefiting the far-right leader, Marine Le Pen, who has made the cost of living a big part of her her program, her her pitch to voters, and she's quite trusted on it. Polls show that she's among the most trusted candidates for president on that. This kind of surge that we're seeing in the polls from Lubin, in my view, can be significantly ascribed towards this this increased focus on the cost of living. But do you think that the atrocities that we've seen in Butcher have shifted the discussion in the final week of the campaign back towards Ukraine, which could benefit Emmanuel Macron, who very much presents himself as a statesman as, and as the most experienced leader uh, at a time of international crisis? Hugo, do you want to do you want to take a stab at that? Yeah, I think it may be one of the elements. I'm not sure it's the exact game changer and that perhaps we'd like it. To be, I was just watching the news last night in France. It did lead with obviously the atrocities, but then the second kind of topic immediately was back onto, onto cost of living. So they're running um, side by side. And obviously the big accusation in terms of what Macron has done is that he hasn't participated in the campaign at all, which is not something that's rare for when French presidents go for election again. But I think, so the accusation has been about him not really having a campaign, that the fact that I wonder whether another element that they can get, the fact that he actually did have that big meeting on Saturday in La Défense in Paris, so showing that he was there present, especially that there he was trying to reassure the left wing of his party on questions of education, health, etc. So there's a few factors. One of them, yes, would be the war in Ukraine coming back, where that he's there's the rally around the flag effect, which we saw bumped him up to about 30% a couple of weeks ago when it started. That's, as you said, died down. Uh, that's one element. Uh, I think the other element is Macron actually finally stepping into, to a degree again, into the political, domestic political arena and showing that he's there and willing to, to campaign, which has brought people, I think, slightly back in um, behind him too. I think it's interesting the way all the candidates have been asked about where they stand. And of course, the, the, the far right and the far left candidates, there is this sort of 
horseshoe effect where they are, all of them are more sympathetic to Russia and to Putin than Macron has been. But they have moved quite quickly to, to distance themselves and everyone has condemned the massacre. Marine Le Pen has said she still wants to work with Russia, but not with Putin. I think it has this concentration on the war in Ukraine has been good for Macron because he's been so much involved in the diplomacy from the start. He's really been one of the, one of the key players, even before the, the war started, this line of communication to Putin, he's positioning himself very much. And it's left the others at a, at a, at a bit of a disadvantage. But I also think you can't entirely disentangle the cost of living crisis from what's happening in Ukraine, because further sanctions for which Macron is calling are likely to put up energy bills and are likely to put pressure on people who are already having a very tough time. The, the two run in parallel, and it will be interesting to see if Macron makes any more specific effort to address the cost of living aspect. Yeah, so it's a really interesting point. You've got this tension running throughout European politics, I think, at the moment, basically between the need to stand up for Ukraine and to stand up to Russia. And at the same time, this parallel cost of living crisis, as you rightly say, Alex. And of course, basically the harsher measures you take on Russia, the more you exacerbate uh, an already severe cost of living crisis, um, in particular with regards to energy. And, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the result that we've seen in Hungary, because it seems to me that Viktor Orban very much serves as a kind of inspiration to Lupin in particular. She speaks of him as a kind of model, his politics as, as an inspiration to her. And he won pretty convincing re-election this weekend, in part based on his kind of relatively anti-sanctions position. He has said that he doesn't want to sanction Russian energy because it would result in higher prices for Hungarian consumers. And he apparently incorrectly said that he was getting better prices from Russia for gas because of his, his, his good relations with Putin. And I, I wonder how strong that kind of politics will prove to be is because Lupin has been making a quite similar argument, I think. And although she hasn't been openly pro-Russia, what she has been is, what she has done is say that the French consumers shouldn't be paying the price for, for a conflict in, in Ukraine and what the terrible things that are happening in Ukraine should not be compounded by a cost of living crisis at home, which sanctions would exacerbate. So how do you think uh, that kind of argument will play? I think it's quite a powerful argument. I think Le Pen draws inspiration from Orban in a number of ways. Firstly, they share a, a hostility to immigration. And although Le Pen has made that less a centerpiece of her campaign and her, she has concentrated on the cost of living more, it's still there underneath and it's still a commonality. Of course, if she is basing her her politics on Orban's and her approach to government, that's quite alarming because what we saw in Hungary was gerrymandering, capture of the media and so on. And there's also uh, a lot of concern about corruption. But I think one of the interesting points in which she looks to Orban is their approach to the EU. So Le Pen used to say that France should leave the EU. She doesn't say that anymore. She's taking inspiration from Orban, who has found a way to remain within the EU and undermine it from within. So he criticizes the EU, he, he undermines collective action on Russia, things like that. But he also takes EU subsidies, EU money, uses that for his own 
benefit and for his allies. But he, he doesn't actually have to go through the whole messy process of leaving. So you can see why Marine Le Pen would look to him and think, actually, that's a model that works. He's just won his fourth successive election victory, his fifth altogether. Why not model myself on him? Yeah, and I suppose that's a good way to ask uh, what's what's on all our minds at the moment. Hugo, do you think she could really win? I mean, you know, she's been this fixture of the French political landscape for a very long time, but never appeared that close to power. And in the end, in 2017, she was beaten by two thirds to one third in, in the second round. But now we're seeing polls which show her very close to, to winning 48-52 within the margin of error. Do you think she, she could really do it this time? Yeah, I think history has, has told us to be very wary about these things. Brexit, Trump, we should now be going to say vaccinated against this type of hope. You're right. There was one poll which put her within the 3% margin of error that seemed to be moving away from that now. So there is a chance she could win it. I'm still not entirely convinced that she can, but who knows? And I think Orban is, going back to the Orban thing, Orban is a good example of how, you know, the, the war doesn't necessarily only cut one way. It was a bit like the same with the pandemic. A lot of people said the pandemic is going to be the end of authoritarian populist leaders. It, it hasn't um, been the case. Some some leaders are able to use it in a very positive way. Orban has been able to use actually the war in a very positive way for him, which nobody thought would actually really work because he said, look, we, we want peace. Yes, we rely on Russia. And he himself benefited from a rally around the flag effect, which was which is surprising. Yes. Le Pen could win it. I think there was, I do wonder whether we, maybe this is mistaken, but the sense there was a peak Le Pen kind of moment, which we're in now, I wonder whether the next week or so would kind of move us away from that. There's a number of different polls, obviously. I think the most reliable one to look at, that there's a big poll that's done by the Sevipov, which is an institute within uh, Sciences Po Paris. And they do like much larger polling of around 13,000 people as opposed to the one and a half or 2,000. They haven't, they, the last one was a couple of weeks ago now, it was the end of March, but that was still within the, it was still within the 53, 47% range in terms of the second round. And let's not forget, I think what we're seeing now with the election is we're seeing a, a crystallization of actually of the different positions. If you are left-wing, then your kind of option is probably to vote Mélenchon. If you're right-wing, now it looks like we're back onto Marine Le Pen. If you're kind of centrist, center-left, center-right, you're going to vote from Macron. But if you remember back to a year or even a bit further ago in January or February 2021, Le Pen was leading in at least the first round. We were talking about 25 for Le Pen and 24 for, for Macron. So we're, we're moving back to that type of situation now after all the excitement of having Zemmour and Becresse and all these different um, leaders come forward. But we've moved back to a pretty classic left, right, center breakdown that's crystallizing itself again. And I think as you, um, Edo, had pointed out in one of your pieces, the big question remains, what would the Mélenchon voters do in the second round? And so far it would seem that, which is not dissimilar from 2017 already, 50% of them wouldn't vote. And then you get an almost 25-25 split between Macron and, and Marine Le Pen, were Marine Le Pen to be in the second round. I think that's really one of the big kind of questions about the second round. So Marine Le Pen might still win that, but right now I think it probably still is. I and, but then we say this, we said this about Brexit too, and then we were wrong. But there is a second round element. We've been here before. I still think Macron will get over the line. 
I just have terrible flashbacks of Trump winning and the Brexit result. And people thought those were in the bag. It couldn't possibly happen. And it did. And there does feel like there's an air of complacency around the McCall campaign. And he's spending so much time on the international stage. And yes, that has benefits for him. And I can see that it's very positive for him in, in, in terms of his image, in terms of France's image internationally. But he's not spent a lot of time on, on the campaign trail. And I do wonder whether there is going to be a surprise. Could it even be Le Pen and Mélenchon in the second round? That would be a surprise, yeah. If you're enjoying France Elects, you might want to consider subscribing. We have a special offer for podcast listeners. 12 weeks for £12 or €12 Euros in Europe. Just go to newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. And you can read all our international coverage at newstatesman.com slash international. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Let's talk about the second round because it is a particularity of French, the French electoral system, which you know our British or American listeners won't won't necessarily be very familiar with. But it is actually quite important as to who actually who wins in the end. And so, basically, there, there's a the way it works is as the first round with any number of candidates, and theoretically, if a candidate gets over fifty percent in the first round, they there is no second round of voting, but that never happens. And so, the top two candidates go through to a runoff round, which will be two weeks from Sunday, which is when the first round is, and then and they face off in the runoff round. And the post first round period is this kind of opportunity for political realignment. And as you correctly say, Hugo, a lot will hinge on how voters for individual candidates behave and the endorsements or not that they decide to give. So I was hoping to to talk about that a bit. How do you think 
the dynamics will change after the first round. It looks big surprise apart. It looks quite likely that Macron will make it through most likely against Lupin. What kind of what would be the signs to look out for if if that were to happen as to an indication of what might happen in 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 the second round two weeks later? So there's two things that we look for. I, I think that the two real candidates that might play a role in where the votes distribution in the second round are, as we've mentioned on the one hand, Jean-Luc Mélenchon of the far left, if you want, and Valérie Pécresse, who's the representative of the Républicains, the kind of traditional conservative party. I think all the other types of votes, we know Zemmour's votes will obviously massively go, 90% of them will go to Le, Le, Le Pen, the Green candidate, Jadot, and also the old Socialist Party candidate, and Gaulle, both will go to Macron. So, so there's only really the question about, sorry, Jean-Luc Mélenchon's and Valérie Pécresse. From what I've seen, and there is also a question there about, because Mélenchon in 2017, there was this kind of implicit Republican pact normally of most established uh, parties will say, you know, you have to vote against the extreme right. Mélenchon hadn't really done that in 2017. There'll be a question whether he would do it again this time. Probably not. If that's the case, then there will be this kind of either abstention or the split, which we just mentioned. Pécresse's votes, though, we presume she would come out in favor of being against Marine Le Pen, although there are dissensions within her ranks. She has a deputy, Eric Ciotti, who obviously thinks the Republican Party's future is somewhat closer to Zemmour's position, which is not too surprising because I think some of the Zemmour voters were originally voters of François Fillon, especially the conservative Catholic ones, François Fillon, then, who almost, who almost made it to the second round, let's not forget, in 2017. He was just one percentage point behind Marine Le Pen. So that split is there, but from what I've seen so far, in terms of the breakdown, up to 40%, if not more, the Pécresse voters would go to Macron, and then you have around 15, 20 would go to Marine Le Pen, and, and there'll be a lot less kind of a, a abstentionism within, within those ranks. So those are the two, I think, telltale signs to see. There's obviously the big question, what made a big difference for Macron last time round is that he had that second round debate with Marine Le Pen, and Marine Le Pen was showing up to be a bit uh, not as competent as perhaps she might have been on certain of the dossiers of the time in terms of certain questions of the economics. Will we have a repeat of that? Yes or no? You might think that Marine Le Pen might have learned from her mistakes. She's having a quite different kind of campaign, a lot softer. Last time she was a lot more in this kind of populist, uh, people against the elites. It's a lot softer now, in part because the eruption of Zemmour, much more strident, has forced her into the softer position. She's more about unity. And she's now saying that Macron is the candidate of this unity. So it'll be interesting to see how that second round debate will be there. I agree with Alex in terms of one of Macron's biggest failures has been that he hasn't been having as much of a ground game or really being on the kind of domestic campaign that worked for a bit. And it did work for a bit. Let's remember that, you know, Macron at the beginning, we we're talking about he was 2024 and he jumped up to 30 because of the rally round effect rally round round uh, flag effect and now he's now still at 27 28 so he's quite high in the first round whether he comes down from his jupiterian perch for the second round and engages fully i think he might make up some of that lost ground although i too have flashbacks of brexit and, and then see how that plays out in the second round but we won't be i don't think anyone's expecting another 64 44 um or whatever it was last time Anything close to 55, 45, I think would be welcome for those who are of that camp. 
I was reading one interesting analysis which said that Mélenchon's voters in general were low turnout voters. So he might have a lot of support in the polls, but in terms of people actually getting out and voting, they are less likely to go, less motivated. Whereas Macron's supporters are quite regular voters. And so in the second round, yes, a lot of Mélenchon's supporters might uh, lean towards Le Pen, but they might not even get to the polling station to cast their vote, whereas Macron's supporters are likely to get out. And so that could help tip the balance in his favor. I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. And there's one other thing that's quite interesting in that is that when you look at why people are attracted to certain candidates, yes, okay, so Macron is stability, leadership, he looks presidential. What both Marine Le Pen and Jean-Luc Mélenchon share is they both seem to be candidates of change. If people want to vote for them, they can say, oh, but they'll change things up, which is always attractive and it's always attractive in, in a French setting. But again, as Alex rightly said, if you look at those, why people vote often, it's like those voters are like, yeah, well, it's always the same thing. So we don't bother voting or we vote for someone who really says they want to change things. So there's, there is a similarity, a degree of similarity in approach in the two electorates, which is why there might be a bit of merging between the two. And that's a very classic kind of populist, populist claim that we heard more obviously back in 2016, 17, in terms of 18, was to bring people back into politics by bringing, by saying it's the people against the elites, not left versus right. So there's a continuity there of that. And I think sociologically it is represented in the, in the polling analysis that we have. And of course, last time Macron was the candidate of change. He was the candidate who came out of nowhere. Just one final thought. I, I really am interested to see how the interround period will run if it indeed turns out to be another rerun of uh, Macron versus Le Pen, in part because so many voters, having been told for a very long time that the result was almost a foregone conclusion, Macron w was going to walk it. Now that these polls show that the possibility of a Le Pen win is really not particularly extravagant or, or far-fetched, how, whether that, that might benefit Macron. We, we talk about this, this almost non-existent campaign that, that Macron has run, but if it changes his voters' attitudes from thinking that the result is a foregone conclusion to thinking that they really do need to turn out because they could go to bed with a very nasty surprise on the 24th of April after the exit poll comes out. They will be more motivated to, to turn out. And there's a lot of, a lot of talk as to turnout being one of the critical factors here, which as you say, Hugo, the voters of which candidates choose to vote, choose to turn out could have quite a big impact, especially when there are only a few percentage points between all of them. Yeah, I think there's two points there. One is Macron was on France Inter, I think one of the um, radio stations yesterday morning, precisely making this point. Um, doing a bit degree of mea culpa saying I didn't do enough to convince the French that extremes was not the right option. I should be doing um, better at that and saying we shouldn't be complacent. I think people seeing the polls, discussions I've been having with French friends is actually, yes, God, this is a lot closer than we thought it could be, especially after that huge jump when Macron was at 30 percent. And there was some pronings at that point a couple of weeks ago when the Ukraine war started which show was looking at the second round, which is starting to look like a 60-40 split. So when in that context, it's like, okay, now there is a degree of, of uncertainty. People are definitely getting worried that might jolt people into action in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. And the other thing about it, abstention is there's often a discussion about abstention in the lead up to the French presidential election, but it tends to be a, an election where people do turn out to vote. The intentions are around 70%. It's relatively high. Going back to Alex's point is right. So Macron has a strong, solid kind of base. They will turn out 
Marine Le Pen actually now also has a relatively strong base that will turn out. It seems those votes in blocks are quite set. The question is, yes, exactly for Mélenchon. I think there's a lot of excitement about Mélenchon, at least now for the first round. So whether that, if there's again a disappointment, because Mélenchon was extremely disappointed back in 2017, he almost made it to the second round. He was at 19, I think, percent. I think it was fourth, but it was within like a mousse de push, as you say. Couldn't put a cigarette filter between them, which was that Mélenchon was at 19, Fillon was at 20, and, and Marine Le Pen was at, was at 21. So it was really close. And then there was a kind of, that was that, that bubble burst and there was a lot of disappointment. The same thing happened with the voters this time around, where there's a lot of excitement and then I somewhat dissipate because he has, the dynamic is behind him. And there's the question with the Picres voters too, because they feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. And on the one hand, they don't want to vote for Le Pen, but they also want to keep an identity that's separate from Macron. So they have a question, but they are tend to be older um, voters, older well-off voters, and those voters tend to vote to turn out more than the type of perhaps younger voters that and more fickle perhaps voters that Mélenchon has. Okay. And with that, uh, thanks very much both for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of France Selects. Join us on Monday for a snap analysis of the first round results. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening and until next time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.